Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Tamara Mellon and Jill Layfield, co-founders of the luxury footwear brand, Tamara Mellon. Tamara first co-founded Jimmy Choo in 1996 and has since overhauled her ideas about what works in fashion. I wanted to ask Tamara and Jill about why they now believe in the direct-to-consumer drop model, plus how events this year have changed their approach to selling shoes. Welcome to you, Tamara. Hi. Hello. Hi, Jill. Welcome to you. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. Well, happy Cyber Monday. Talk to me. (laughs) Tamara, what are you (laughs) seeing right now this weekend? What's going on with sales? Um, You know, we've been been very busy this weekend. Um, Our uh, LA offline store is doing incredibly well. Um, obviously we are digitally born e-commerce business. Um, so majority of our sales are online. Um, but we see, but we see really good results, um, this weekend. Congrats. That's great. I definitely want to, uh, dig into your approach to physical retail. I know that's newer, that big plans you had for 2020. Want to check in. Let's just talk. Let's just start there. And then we'll circle back to the whole backstory of, of the, uh, the brand. But Jill, you want to tell me, I think that, am I correct that you had plans to open stores this year? And is that still going on? Yes, we had planned to expand our retail footprint and we, uh, we started um, at the beginning of the year with opening our store in Soho in New York. And that store opened actually about a month before lockdown. <laughs> oh. And so, yeah, great timing. Um, but uh, like everyone else in, in Manhattan, we went um, into sort of shutdown mode. Uh, we took that time to actually finish a few things that we needed to do for the store to really get it to the place that we wanted it to be. So in some ways, the lockdown, you know, uh, we weathered through it in that we used the time to really upgrade the experience and then reopened um, in mid-July. And actually, the store's uh, done much, you know, sort of has rebuilt um, much better, obviously, coming out of uh, one month of being opened. And uh, we opened a store in San Francisco at the end of last year. That store we actually closed. It was a uh, a temporary store. We closed it in October. But beyond that, we put on hold any of the other locations that we had planned to open in 2020. Got it. Is are more stores in the future, or I mean, everything's moving online. Stick there for a bit. Yeah, I think you know it's it's very difficult for anyone in the world to predict what's going to come next. And so we're going to focus on our e-commerce business, given that is our biggest channel. And there's been a massive influx uh, to shopping online. And I think, you know, the the migration from offline to online is obviously, uh, you know, uh, moved forward at a quicker rate during the pandemic. And so we see a big opportunity there to continue to do what we do best online. Uh, we have had our trucks, our mobile truck um, concept <laughs> on the road uh, the last few months. And um, that's proven to be an interesting model uh, because it's really a one-to-one experience um, given that, you know, it's a small, small uh, space and we only let typically one person in to shop at a time. So we'll continue to experiment um, offline, but I think for now, focus on the online business. I love that concept. Tamara, do you want to dig in a little bit? When did that launch? And 
are you hitting those cities where you would ideally open a store? I know you you hit the Hamptons, you hit Miami. Yeah, we hit, uh, well, last, our first truck hit 14, 14 cities across the States. Um, and this year we've hit Hamptons, Aspen, Miami, Dallas, Houston, um, and then uh, West Coast. We've been in Malibu, Montecito, San Diego. Um, but, and what's great about that is, you know, so we're bringing the shopping experience to our customers right now who are, um, at home, you know, and, uh, on lockdown at home and are not traveling. So we were able to sort of get on the road and go and meet them where they're at. Um, and we built the truck, uh, we amended the truck because of COVID. We actually took out a couple of the side windows. So we had fresh air flowing through the truck. And obviously nice. we provided uh, PPE. Um, and also people could book private appointments if they wanted to come and be on their own. Or, you know, we even extended if you want us to pull up at your house, we'll, we'll come to you as well. Nice. So we were really thinking about how do we meet the customer? Where is she at at the moment? They've loved it. That's awesome. And to your point, it does give us that opportunity to, you know, test markets for when, you know, a more permanent retail offline presence makes sense. Yes. Well, I've noticed online now there's an awesome shoe that really fits. It seems to me like it fits the times. It's a like a shearling lined flat sandal. Would love to hear what she's buying now. That's so interesting. So we've seen really interesting shopping patterns. Um, and we've sort of internally called it function or fantasy. Um, so she's buying things like the Rome sandal, which is a shilling line, comfy sandal that you can wear at home. You can also wear it outdoors. It's sort of got an indoor-outdoor sole, but it's it's very cozy, very comfy. Um, or the other end of the scale is she's buying things uh, just for pure joy. You know, we're watching her buy things and we're thinking, where where are you wearing that right now? You have nowhere to go in that shoe. <laughs> but she's buying it because it just brings a little piece of joy to her life. She opens up the box and she sees something beautiful and she can think of something, you know, of where she may wear it in the future. So, but what we're not seeing, we're not really seeing a lot of the middle core product, which people used to buy as their everyday basics, whether they're going to the office or, you know, running errands. Those type of uh, shoes are not, it's the, the two extremes really are selling right now. Yes. Talk about your marketing. I, I feel like you guys are leaning into that idea of the fantasy. I saw on your Instagram stories today, you were calling them optimism shoes <laughs> and kind of for looking forward to a better day or something like that. And they were definitely like sassy stilettos. Is that happening across channels? Yeah, so we're doing it, you know, obviously, we try and meet her where she's at psychologically and emotionally, as well as just what her needs are for buying shoes. So we try and be in tune and in step, you know, we talk to our customers, you know, more like a girlfriend, where we know where she's at. And so it's relatable. Um, and that's, that's what we've been doing. We're so yeah, just meeting her where, where she's at today and what she wants to hear and what, you know, we try and make you also in these times, you know, we want to make you laugh. We want to make you uh, see pretty things, but we also want to have a reality check of not also showing just pure fantasy, then showing things like the Rome sandal, which fits your everyday life. Totally. I mentioned, let's circle back. Let's do it now. So talk to me about uh, Jimmy Choo tomorrow. You were there for 16 years. 
Uh, I mean, right now I keep hearing on these Capri Holdings earnings calls that they're looking to raise the prices of Jimmy Choo and go more luxury. Uh, where did you, I don't when did you decide, you know, I know it was during an acquisition that you kind of stepped away from the brand. Um, anyway, what opportunity did you see outside of that brand? Well, there were multiple things happening at the time. Obviously, I, I founded Jimmy Choo when I was 27 years old and built it for 16 years. And I'd been through four private equity deals with the business. Um, but I really saw a change in the industry happening, um, which, you know, for a creative industry, we were very slow to move. So what I felt was the customer had moved on um, when the industry could, wasn't catching up to where she was at. So as Mark Andreessen said, every business will eventually be eaten by digital. And that's what was happening in the fashion industry. But they were very slow to move. And we were also selling to women in a way that they just didn't want to buy anymore. You know, we were designing huge collections that we take to market four times a year and bringing them out months before they'd ever want to wear them. So we were delivering spring, summer in, you know, starting January and February and autumn, winter would start coming in July and August, you know, when you're probably just thinking about that bikini that you want to wear, you know, on the beach. So it was, it wasn't really in step with where the customer was at. Um, so I felt like the business model needed to change um, and the way people uh, talked and spoke to their customers as well needed to change. So that's how we came up with um, doing direct-to-consumer, having a drop model, dropping product that's in the, the appropriate season. Um, and then yes. also, you know, there's a price advantage to bring direct-to-consumer. And that's also whether it's online or offline. Even our offline retail, we consider direct-to-consumer because we drop product you know, as we feel like into the um, offline retail stores as well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Jill, talk about your past life and how you guys came together. <laughs> well, uh, I was um, at a online retailer called Backcountry, um, backcountry.com for 11 years prior to joining Tamara uh, to co-found Tamara Mellon. And um that business uh, was a retail business. So, um, you know, we sold outdoor brands, uh, but all online. I was the president and CEO there. Sold that business uh, at the end of 2000 or at the middle of 2015. And then sort of had this crisis of like, what am I going to do next with my life? And, you know, where am I going to go next? And uh, Tony Florence at NEA um, set up a blind date for me with Tamara Mellon <laughs> and said, <laughs> oh, you really got to meet Tamara. She's amazing. And, you know, she's um, super, you know, complimentary to you and, and what she wants to do next and that she has, you know, worked in designer footwear all her life and is an icon in the fashion industry. And she wants to do designer footwear again, but direct to consumer. And she needs an operating partner that has e-commerce experience. So I flew to LA from Park City, Utah, met Tamara and, you know, the rest is history. I picked up and moved my family from Park City to LA. And in October of 2016, we launched the brand. That's awesome. Did you come in? I know there was kind of a start stop. And uh, yeah, there was maybe um, what you thought the Tamara brand would be versus what it is today, uh, Tamara. What, when did that occur? 
So uh, the first version, um, you know, we tried different things. We tried, I tried to put the buy now, where now model into a wholesale distribution channel. And what I quickly realized is they weren't ready for it. You know, they, they could see the change coming, but they weren't ready to do it yet. Um, so we had to pivot and change our approach. Um, yeah, and it's also what I realized is when you're a startup, you don't have the leverage to force wholesale partners to take product from you in the way you want to deliver it. You need yeah. a critical mass to affect change or you need to be uh, a massive brand to them. Um, for them to accept deliveries in a different format. Um, so really, that was the pivot. So we pivoted and we changed to being purely direct-to-consumer with no wholesale. Got it. That was back in 2013-ish, a little 13, bit. Maybe a little, yes. Yeah. If that was, um, if you had gone that, that route today, are they starting to get it? How, what's the difference now? Yeah, so I think their their mindset has changed very much today and accelerated during COVID. Um, there, are, you know, you see a lot of big brands today, whether it's Saint Laurent or Gucci, you know, foregoing the traditional fashion show and moving to spring, summer, autumn, winter, only two seasons a year, and within that, having drops of product. So yeah, so the um, department stores are going to have to shift now. It's like they've been forced to shift now. Yes, that makes sense. It's about time. So you mentioned Jill NEA, uh, New Enterprise Associates, led your A and B uh, funding rounds. Talk to me about the importance of that partner. I know their portfolio includes Goop and Third Love and all these mega names, I would say. Um, Yeah, talk about that. When did they come in? Yeah, so they uh, led our Series A, as you said, um, and our Series B, and then participated in our Series C, which was our last funding round. And they've been incredible partners. Uh, Tony Florence, as I mentioned, who sits on our board, uh, you know, has to your to your point um, a lot of uh, you know experience in direct to consumer with some of the brands that you mentioned. And he understands, you know, I think the opportunity with direct-to-consumer, both in terms of disruption, but also, you know, how to scale uh, your your business and your brand. Um, so, you know, they've, I think they've been useful in that they've helped us um, see things that might be a roadblock before we've encountered them. Um, they have yeah. shared with us, you know, uh, strategies that have worked with other businesses. So, you know, they've been really instrumental in, you know, sort of how we've navigated um, four years of growth and yeah. just been fantastic partners. Couldn't ask for better partners. Yeah. Let's talk about um, scaling and uh, and that fundraising. Um, close to $90 million, uh, in fundraising dollars. Uh, was this all at the time when you guys started taking off? Was it all Facebook and Instagram ads, uh, digital advertising? Is that where a majority of your budget was going and is going now? Or have you guys kind of veered left or right? Yeah, there's, there, you know, I think about the investment in, you know, sort of five buckets. So um, the first is, yeah, marketing and how we're spending our marketing dollars. We We tend to really concentrate our marketing dollars in online marketing. Yes, Facebook, Instagram is a big platform, um, but we're also doing, you know, sort of non-traditional paid marketing. Um, We have a pretty big influencer, you know, program. Um, So, you know, marketing dollars would be sort of concentrated online, but also, you know, what we've done with the trucks offline um, has been a form of marketing for us. And then 
you know, next is just the people investment and the team. Um, and, you know, we're, I think some companies take an approach of lots of agencies. Um, we've done everything in-house. Um, so, you know, we've invested in great people um, to build the business across sort of all the functions. And then the next is creative, um, you know, because, again, we have everything in-house. Um, we've invested in uh, creative and, you know, a great visual language, storytelling. Um, so that's another big area of investment. And then from there, you know, you'd find this sort of other traditional, you know, investments, whether it's expanding offline or it's inventory <laughs> or, you know, our tech stack. Um, but that's sort of how we thought about the money we've raised and deploying that capital. That makes perfect sense. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Let's talk a little bit more about how uh, the pandemic has um, forced you to pivot or shift gears. Um, Tamara, I know, talk to me about how um, your product has been affected. I know like supply chain has been um, a big, I guess, nuisance in terms of are a lot of your supplies from Italy. What, what happened there? Were you able to kind of keep up with your monthly drops? Did that prove a challenge? Um, yes. Yeah, so obviously, uh, we only work in Italy. Our factories in Italy shut down, um, you know, for a couple of months. But we we're lucky enough, we actually have a technician here in LA, and we have a very small uh, sample room. So we were able to continue working on samples, and then have them ready when the factory reopened um, in Italy. But we did um, obviously adjust our inventory quantities um, and we did cancel quite a lot of styles. Um, but we continued then also working on spring, summer 21. And I have to say, we designed a whole collection over Zoom, um, which oh was gosh. a first for me. <laughs> um, but yes, but having having a technical person, um, what we call a modelista here in L.A. was very helpful as we continued to make samples. That's great. So that monthly drop, uh, that's been crucial to, I guess, um, maintaining customer loyalty, would you say? What do you know about your customer and how often she kind of checks back for that monthly drop? Is she is she there every month? Yeah, so that's uh, we have a high repeat business. Um, and I think what's interesting is, you know, there's always something new to come and see. Um, so there's, there's always a reason to come back. Traditionally, you would drop a whole collection at the beginning of the season. And as a customer, once you've seen it, you have no reason to go back, you know, what's there. So for our customer, there's always something new. And we always try and think about what does she need in those months? What's she going to be looking for? What is, what are her lifestyle needs in those months? And we try and give it to her. Yes. Am I correct? You guys, that you're the, the first, uh, maybe direct to consumer footwear brand in the space in luxury footwear. Uh, and I know other others have popped up in recent years. What's the competition like in the space at your price range? Uh, Jill, what would you say? Yeah, we are the only, you know, sort of true luxury um, designer, you know, footwear brand to your point that's direct to consumer. So we don't really think about, you know, other, or we don't think about the competition in terms of other direct-to-consumer luxury footwear right. brands, but rather the, you know, incumbents, the, you know, the large players. Um, and, and you know, I think as we've discussed, what we've said is sort of how do we, 
you know, compete with potentially some brands that um, are not evolving to where the customer's at. And that's been, you know, as we've discussed across, you know, our channel strategy, our distribution strategy, you know, go to market and overall brand positioning. Um, and that's, you know, we're really focused on offering her a better uh, way to shop um, yep. and a better brand experience. Yes. Has any of your messaging ever been around pricing? It's such a thing in the direct-to-consumer world. Get it, uh, cut out the middleman, all of that. <laughs> yeah, we we tested. Um, we're, you know, like all other, you know, digitally native uh, brands, we're very big on testing. And we tested um, direct language around, you know, the lack of the 6X markup that's traditional in this category. But it really um, didn't work. Uh, for a variety of different reasons. And so, um, you know, the way the way we often think about, you know, the customer journey is, you know, to Tamara's point, she will fall in love with the product when she sees it. Um, beautiful imagery, beautiful construction, um, and great sort of storytelling around the product. And it's a very emotional decision. And then when she gets the box at home and she opens up the, the box and she takes the shoes out, we're I would hope reinforcing, you know, that that desire that she felt when she bought. And then when she sort of thinks about the the price that she paid and she's observing the quality, we really lock into that sort of like, you know, uh, cerebral part of, of buying, you know, decisions. And she feels really smart about that decision. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want her yeah. to love the shoes. We want it to be emotional and and, um, you know, sort of a an escape, um, but also for her to feel incredibly smart that she made a great decision because it is the best quality product at the best price possible. That makes sense. Tamara, what's been your approach to sales to date? We mentioned it's Cyber Monday. Obviously, you're having a sale, but um, have they been few and far between? They have. So we don't have a traditional end of season sale um, because I think that's been very dilutive and damaging to a lot of business. Um, Basically, department stores have trained their customers not to buy at full price, but to wait and buy on sale. Um, So we don't do sales. We may do what I call a pop-up sale <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we have a, a couple of times a year where we'll do a sale. So we do one um, on equal payday um, and we give the percent off the difference uh, between male and female pay. We'll give that percent off. Um, and right. then we celebrate our birthday. Um, and then during the other year, if we decide for some reason um, that we want to give something off, then then we'll do it more like a pop-up sale, but there aren't traditional end-of-season sales. Right on. Well, you mentioned designing shoes on Zoom. I know you've launched some other kind of virtual initiatives, including uh, virtual personal shopper appointments. Uh, what is your customer expecting now in terms of customer service? I think, yeah, I mean, she's expecting, I think, a personal touch and she's expecting that we make it incredibly easy for her everything. So, uh, you know, our, our lives are incredibly stressful right now. So I think more than ever, she wants to feel like if she is going to, you know, spend time with Tamara Mellon and buy a pair of shoes, that it's frictionless and it's, um, you know, like I, like we've sort of said earlier, a bit of an escape for her and, you know, feels very like, it's almost like a warm embrace, you know, like we've got you. Um, And so, you know, we've 
we have uh, really like tried to take a step back and say, you know, what are the things that are frustrating when you buy online? And like, just as an example, if you buy something online and then you have to return it, it's very annoying, right? We would all love to just buy exactly what we need in exactly the right size. And, um, you know, when we, and, and get it right all the time. And so, you know, but the reality is, is that doesn't happen. So, you know, with returns, we try to make it incredibly frictionless. We'll pick up if, if it doesn't work, we'll come to your home, we'll arrange, you know, FedEx to come to your door and pick up um, whatever doesn't, doesn't work for you. So you don't have to leave your home. That's one example. Right. Another thing that we've been doing is really promoting in-home trial. So sort of taking like the dressing room concept, but to your living room. Um, So uh, shipping our our customers, you know, essentially like a trunk of shoes and allowing her to, um, you know, try what she likes at home and in the privacy of her home. And then again, if it doesn't work, we'll come pick up, um, you know, what what you want to return to us. So I think, yeah, I think it's being there for her one-to-one and removing all the friction from the buying and, you know, returns process. Nice. For these special, I guess, circumstances when they're trying on at home or when they're uh, taking part in a virtual appointment, uh, conversions higher, right? Like how would you justify the the extra cost of all of this? Yeah, it's interesting. So that's, that's what we've seen like across the board. So, you know, we've had lots of questions about the the truck, our trial program, one-on-one appointments. So, you know, where we may not be seeing the same volume of people say enter a New York store or go onto a truck, or maybe in a year where you're not in the middle of pandemic, you know, more in-home trial orders, we are seeing the highest conversion rates and all of those uh, touch points. So, you know, that's been our focus is, you know, when she's there, give her exactly what she wants, wow her with incredible service and incredible experience and convert her. Um, And so, you know, less about sort of driving traffic and more about um, conversion rate, which I think at the end of the day, positions the business in a much better place. um, Because we all know, (laughs) you know, traffic will come back and commerce will come back to pre-pandemic levels. And I think if you've made investments during this period on the customer experience and service and improved your conversion rates, then you're going to be positioned to, you know, be a winner coming out of the pandemic. Definitely. Tamara, I want to definitely ask you about your uh, handbags, but I also, I know that you've, uh, gosh, um, taken part in a lot of collab, not a lot, some interesting collaborations recently. Want to talk about that as well. Did handbags launch at the same time as footwear? Uh, we launched it later, a uh, yep. couple of years later. Yeah, I mean, really, it's an organic and natural um, category extension because it's leather goods made in Italy. Um, you know, the handbag collection is not as extensive as the shoe collection, but we really just try and create those pieces that you really want. Um, and yeah. then we'll probably be, we'll be growing the handbag line in the future. Okay, great. Right now, what about what percentage of the business is it? Oh, it's very small. Yeah, less than 10%. Got it. We'll talk about these collaborations. One, uh, I know, footwear collaboration with uh, Carla Welch, who I love. Uh, Who makes sense as a collaborator for you, I would say? So it's whether, you know, it's, it's, do they, do they fit with our brand values? Um, Are they also creating a luxury product? Um, Is it interesting for their customer base as well as our customer base? Is there crossover? 
Um, so yeah, so we but we've done some outside the box collaborations like with Lord Jones, which is a CBD cream we created, you know, a stiletto cream, a foot cream that you can use, you know, bef- you can put it on before you wear your heels or you can use it like post workout. It's just as good nice. for your feet, you know. Yes. So yeah, we've done frame, we've worked with um, a jewelry company and we have uh, hopefully, yeah, more interesting ones coming. But it's, it's like I said, do they fit with our brand values? Do we consider them a luxury product? Nice. I was going to ask about Laura Jones. I love this. So is that currently, it's selling on your site, it's selling on their site? On theirs. Got it. That's and Sephora. Brilliant. Oh, and Sephora. Yep. Hello. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> talk to me about the celebrity factor. Uh, I just just saw Kristen Stewart wearing your your shoes and uh, some buzz online about that. Um, are you has the influencer, I guess, who who um, inspires your shopper to to make the purchase? Would it be an everyday, more everyday style of influencer? Who's your influencer? Let's just say that. So we work with a handful of girls that we really consider like who are part of our tribe, um, who really have the right aesthetic, again, brand values, um, look and fit for the brand. So there are girls like uh, Julia Tordini, um, Julia Reston Reutfeld, we just recently worked with, with uh, girl, right. her handle is called Hand, Hand in Fire. Um, so we have, we have an extensive list of about 50 that we work with and then a core group that we think, that feel are real fit. And then therefore their audience, um, should be a fit for our brand because it's a similar aesthetic. Yes. Is it more like a gifting as opposed to paid? Is any brand doing paid partnerships anymore? I don't even know. Uh, yes. It's both. Both. Nice. Okay, great. Are you working with anybody on TikTok? Not, not yet. We are, we are studying TikTok, but we haven't, we haven't found our right, right way in yet. Um, I think it's, you know, from everything we know, it's, it's amazing for grant brand awareness, um, particularly with Gen Z, but I don't think anyone's actually see it convert to sales yet, except for beauty brands. Yeah, agree. Agree. I've been seeing it more so on the beauty side for sure. Can you guys talk about 2021 a bit? Do you even go about (laughs) setting a plan? It feels like everything's a little bit up in the air. But uh, Jill, are you planning uh, (laughs) this far in advance? Yeah, well, we are actually. And I so appreciate that you understand it's hard to do that. (laughs) We, um, we've actually been, you know, sort of with the management team and the board discussing that it's, you know, very, very hard with any certainty to say how 2021 is going to play out. But, you know, what we're expecting is sort of a tale of, you know, two halves and TBD on exactly you know, how long the first half and the second half is, right? And when the the switch happens, but we're expecting, you know, um, a softer first uh, half of the the year, and then we're expecting a really healthy rebound. And again, TBD on, does that happen in July or August, or is it June? Um, But we're thinking in terms of that mindset and, you know, working on the things that I mentioned earlier, working on the things that you know, are going to pay dividends when the uh, market sort of comes back and the customer comes back um, and, you know, strengthening the business for what we think will be, you know, a pretty incredible recovery sometime in the back half of 2021. 
Yes. Tomorrow, how did 2020 turn out, would you say, in compare, compared to your, I guess, projections, expectations? Uh, is there, I guess, a percentage you would put on it in terms of where you fell in terms of, uh, of the goal? I'd say we're in line with the industry. Uh, what's going on with the industry? We're no better, we're no worse. Um, yeah. Which, I guess, in a sense, is reassuring. <laughs> Uh, that yeah. we're in line with everybody else. Um, but it's certainly uh, the worst that I've experienced in my career, uh, much worse than the, you know, 2008 um, crash. Yeah. You know, on, in 2008 crash, we, you know, we had people going to the store wanting to buy something, but then were embarrassed to be seen with a shopping bag and asked for plane, plane. We had to provide plain carrier bags. Um but this this is this has been an entirely different different thing altogether. What are your goals for your brand uh, long term? Looking at it from the end of twenty twenty. Um, long term, you know, we'd love to build uh, the next luxury, big luxury shoe brand that you know captures the hearts of women uh, globally. Um, right now, we're only domestic, so we have a long way to go. Um, but we really see us as you know as a one of the big luxury shoe brands. Yeah, to, oh, to yes. compete with the others. Can we expect you to uh, enter an international market early next year? 22. Not early next year. But <laughs> 22, 22. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. And, and third-party retailers are never going to be a part of the equation. Um, you know what? You can never say never, right? Cause, because yeah. they're evolving and changing. Right. When we started, it was very difficult because they only wanted to buy a certain way. And now that they're evolving and changing, there are opportunities. Um, and there are definitely great marketplaces online and online retailers as well. So I yeah. think as the fashion industry evolves, we will uh, change our position as well. Awesome. Well, can't wait to see all that you guys do in the year ahead. And yeah, congrats on getting through this year. <laughs> thanks Thank so much you. for being thanks here. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.